You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, for sending your only begotten Son into this world to be not only just the Savior, but the Lord, and to bring to us light, light and understanding of you and of your ways, that we might be attracted to the light that we might walk in the light even as you are in that light so that we might have fellowship with each other as the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Lord, teach us today of what it is to be born of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John records for us here the night visit by Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who acknowledged that Jesus was from God. Because of the miracles that Jesus had done, he realized that no man could do the things Jesus was doing apart from God's power. Jesus declared to him that it was necessary that he be born again. But this was an unusual and strange concept which he did not understand and so he asked Jesus what was meant by being born again. When God first created man, God created man a three-dimensional being. Spirit, mind, and body. Man was sort of an inferior trinity. He was essentially a spirit, but he dwelt in a body And he possessed a consciousness. Now, we're familiar with plant life. That's body life in its simple form. It grows. It draws nutrients out of the soil and atmosphere. And in some cases, like the Venus flytrap from insects, it reproduces itself through the genetic code that is found in the seed. And it is a very simple, basic form of life. Beyond plant life, we have animal life, which also possesses a body, but it is two-dimensional because it also possesses a 
consciousness or a soul. They feed on the plants and they feed on other animals. They are mobile and they reproduce through seed that oftentimes has to be fertilized by the sperm. Because of the addition of the consciousness and mobility, the, an the animal kingdom is a quantum leap above the plant kingdom. Now, man was created as a spirit, a spirit being. Dwelling in a body, possessing a consciousness, feeding upon the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom, reproducing through the genetic code in the sea, seed fertilized by the sperm. But because of the dimension of the spirit, man has the capacity to understand the existence of God. He has the capacity to worship God. And because of the spirit of man, he is a quantum leap above the animal kingdom because of his ability to understand and to worship God. It should be noted, however, that man by birth alone does not know what it is to possess a spirit. Though originally when God created him, he created him spirit, soul, and body. Man's spirit died when man chose to live after the body appetites rather than after the spirit. And thus, most people that we know today whose spirit is dead live as do the animals, an animal plane of existence which is evidenced and proven every day on the front pages of your newspapers. When man was first created, he lived in an ideally pure environment, in a strong, healthy body with no genetic defects. His spirit was alive, and thus he lived in conscious fellowship with God. We have that beautiful passage of Scripture so filled with potential that declares an God communed with Adam in the garden. That beautiful awareness of God and living in harmony and in fellowship with God. But there was one question. Did man live in fellowship with God because he desired to live in fellowship with God or was it because there was no alternative? And so, in order to find out if, if man's 
Living in fellowship with God was a matter of choice, desire. God put into the garden a very attractive and appealing alternative. A tree that appealed to the lust of man's flesh. But God, when he placed that tree there, placed also a prohibition upon that tree, declaring that to eat of it would have deadly consequences. It would bring to an end man's fellowship and relationship with God. Unfortunately, Adam chose to experiment and to eat of that tree in disobedience to God. And in so doing, as God had warned, his spirit died and he lost the consciousness of God's presence and he lost fellowship with God because the spirit was dead. And try as he may, there is no way that man can resurrect his own spirit by his own efforts. Be as good as he can. Be religious. Keep rules and regulations. These things cannot revive or resuscitate the spirit of man that died as the result of man's sin against God. Thus, man degenerated to the animal plane of existence and his mind now, rather than being occupied with the things of God, his mind is now occupied with the needs of his body and the chief concerns were, what will I eat? What will I wear? What will I drink? Survival became the main issue. When Jesus said to Nicodemus that unless a man was born again, he could not see the kingdom of God, he was declaring that you just will not be able to understand nor know the things of the Spirit when your spirit is dead. There's only one way you can apprehend or comprehend the things of the Spirit, and that is by having a spiritual birth. You were born once of the flesh, you lived after the flesh. Your mind was occupied with things of the flesh. To know God, to enter into the kingdom of God, to understand the kingdom of God, it is necessary that you be born again. This time, a spiritual birth. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, said, Man does not know the things of God. The Spirit of God knows them. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, 
that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Of which things we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom, but that which is taught by the Holy Spirit, as we compare spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Paul said they are foolishness unto him. So what Paul is saying is that for us to understand spiritual things, it is necessary again to have a spiritual birth. It's rather frustrating to be born again And to have spiritual comprehension and to try then to share spiritual truths with people who aren't born again. You've all experienced that frustration. You you think, well, it's so clear. Why can't you see it? What's your problem that you just can't see it? And, And to... Try and deal with a person who is blind to the things of the Spirit is is an extremely frustrating thing. But the Bible says that you cannot know them because they are only understood by the Spirit. Jesus was basically saying to Nicodemus, You were born once from your mother's womb in the flesh. You've got to be born again in the spirit. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to comprehend or understand it, you've got to have a spiritual birth. If you want to enter into it, it takes a spiritual birth. Otherwise, you'll never understand it, nor will you enter into it. And so it prompted his question, but how then can a man be born again? By what process can a man have this spiritual birth? How can these things be? And so Jesus went back to the Old Testament with which he was very familiar. Being a ruler of the Jews, a teacher, he was familiar with the Old Testament and especially the Torah. And Jesus went back to one of the experiences recorded in the book of Numbers. When the children of Israel, there in the wilderness, they began to murmur and complain against God and against Moses, accusing God of bringing them out to destroy them in the wilderness. And they said, we're sick of this manna. And so God sent poisonous snakes among them. 
And the people began to be bitten by these poisonous snakes, snakes and they were dying all over the place. And Moses prayed unto the Lord to forgive them for their murmuring. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a brass snake. Put it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And it shall come to pass, whenever a man is bitten by one of these poisonous snakes, if he will look at that brass snake in the middle of the camp, there on the pole, he will be healed and he will not die. So Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on the pole, and put it in the middle of the camp. And it came to pass that his people were bitten by these snakes and they were dying as they looked at that brass snake on the pole, they were healed. They did not die. Now, notice God just didn't heal them. He made provisions for their healing, but it left the ball in their court. They had to look at that serpent on the pole in order to be healed. In this, there is tremendous symbolism. In the scriptures, brass is used always as a symbol of God's judgment. The brazen altar where the blood of the sacrifices had to be poured. In the scriptures, the serpent is used as a symbol for sin as Satan came in the garden in the form of a serpent and thus used as a symbol for sin. Lifted up on a pole. That being lifted up became the symbol of the cross. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, signifying how that he was going to die by crucifixion. Even here, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So in putting the symbolism together, the serpent, the symbol of sin, brass, the symbol of judgment, lifted up the symbol of the cross. You have then sin being judged on the cross. And as you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, if you realize that there God judged your sin, and Jesus experienced the righteous judgment of God for your sin as he died for your sin. Looking then at that in faith, you do not perish as the result of the deadly sin that is destroying you, but you have eternal life. Very symbolic. Now, what if you were there in the wilderness and a good friend of yours was, say, visiting with you in your tent when one of these serpents came wriggling into the tent and bit your friend? And as he started to go into the convulsions, 
his body being knotted up as the poison was going through his system, you drug him out of the tent where he could view there in the middle of the camp this brass serpent on the pole. And you would say to him, look at the brass serpent. And he says, I don't understand how that's going to help me. You say, but you don't have to understand it, man. Just look. I, I just don't see. I don't understand what good it will do. I can't understand how looking is going to give me life, is going to save me from, you know, death. I, I just don't understand it. Well, try, just look. No, I, I, I don't believe in anything I can't understand. And so the guy doubles up and dies. And you say, fool? <laughs> you didn't have to die. All you had to do was look. And, and all around you, there are hundreds of people that are living who were dying, they're living now because they looked. And, and you would just be so frustrated. There are a lot of people that say, I don't understand how believing in Jesus can cause me to be born again. I don't understand how that just believing in Jesus can bring me the forgiveness of my sins. I don't understand how believing in Jesus can bring me eternal life. And we're standing there just saying, but look, man, just believe, man. And no, I don't believe anything I can. And they're dying and perishing in their sins. And we stand by feeling so helpless and frustrated because the promise is there and all around are thousands of people who were perishing in their sins who now have spiritual life, have that glorious life of fellowship with God, whose lives have been transformed and changed. And yet, they refuse just to simply look to Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now, how can a man be born again? The answer of Jesus was, even as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That is, I have to die upon the cross to take the judgment of God for sin. And whoever will believe will not perish, but will have eternal life. The natural man... is living only two-thirds of his capacity. There is something missing. The realm of the spirit. You're aware of the emptiness and probably trying to fill that emptiness with either material or emotional things. But the thirst is still there. The emptiness is still there. And all around us in the world in which we live, we see men trying to fill this void, this spiritual void in their life 
with things that can never fill it. Only a relationship with God through the Spirit can fill that void. We're going to find Jesus saying to the woman of Samaria, God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, and God is seeking such to worship Him. You see, God created you to worship, to worship something. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. Your car, your home, your garden, your boat. You're going to worship something. God just created us that way. But God intended that you should worship him and in so doing, find spiritual life, relationship with God, which is the purpose of your existence. You may say, but it's so simple. I don't understand how that just by looking in faith to Jesus Christ, I can have the forgiveness of my sins and have eternal life. Yes, it is simple. God made it that way so children could believe and be born again. Jesus went on to explain to Nicodemus, you see, God, he said, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here again we have that perish versus the everlasting or eternal life. Man is perishing in his sins. You are dying in sin. Your spirit is dead because of sin. Paul speaks about being dead in trespasses and sins. He says that a person that is trying to fill the void in his life with pleasure is dead while he's still alive. You are perishing but you don't have to perish. That's what the gospel is about. You can have everlasting life through Jesus Christ. I think of the children of Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness, blaming God for all of their woes, murmuring and complaining against God continually. When in reality, all of their problems were of their own doing. It was their failure to obey God and to enter into the promised land that had created their problems. Their wandering in the wilderness was not God's purpose and plan for their lives. God purposed that they should be living in the land that he had promised to Abraham, that beautiful, fertile land, enjoying the blessings and the benefits of that land as they lived in fellowship with him. But they got out of fellowship with God. And thus, all of the woes and the problems that came to them, and here they are, 
blaming God now for these very things that they brought upon themselves. How typical of man. How they misunderstood the love of God. The purpose of the fiery serpents was not to destroy them, it was to turn them back to God. They had gotten away from God and God desired to bring them back and so he allowed these things to bring them back. And so many times in our lives, God allows the adverse circumstances to bring us back to him. When we start to stray, when we start to go aside into our own path that is leading to misery and sorrow and pain, God wants to turn us from that. And in his love, he allows hardships, he allows difficulties, he allows pain and suffering to draw us back to himself that we might enjoy the benefits of fellowship with God, loving him, living together in his kingdom. You see, without the assistance of God, they could not have survived that wilderness for two weeks. It was God who kept them. It was God who provided for them. They owed their existence to God, and yet they did not acknowledge that. Without God, you couldn't survive five seconds. Daniel said to Belshazzar, the very God in whose hand your breath is. You are dependent upon God for your survival. And yet so many people aren't even conscious or aware of God, nor are they even interested, even though their very existence is dependent upon him. Many of you have turned to your own way. You've turned your back on God and you're living after the lust of your flesh. You cannot survive, you cannot hope to survive without the protecting hand of God and yet here you are blaming God for all of the faults and all of the problems that you've brought upon yourself. But in spite of all of your rebellion, God still loves you. That's the amazing thing. The amazing love of God. Still loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to take the judgment and the penalty of your sin to die in your place so that if you will just look in faith to Jesus Christ, God will cleanse you from your sin. He will make your spirit alive and you will know what it is to live in fellowship with God. The wonderful promise of God, whosoever believeth in him, that is his son, will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, everlasting life is not just quantity, and it's wrong to think of it in just quantity. It's a quality of life that it's speaking about. You see, everlasting life without quality is hell. 
It's the quality of life that God is promising to you through Jesus Christ. And so, how is a man born again? He's born again by believing in the provision that God has made in his love, whereby we might be forgiven our sins. Simple, yes, but very profound. So simple a child can believe. So profound that we don't understand it. Just accept it and believe it. It works. It works. Can't tell you how, but I just know it does. It works. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for that love. Love so great that you were willing to give your only begotten son to be despised and rejected, to place upon him the iniquities of us all, to allow him to die in our stead that you might be able to forgive us our sins, that you might, Lord, make the spirit alive in us, And as the Spirit is alive, make possible fellowship with you. Oh, Lord, you're so good. And we thank you today that we enjoy the riches, the fullness, the blessings of seeing you, knowing you, knowing what it is to fellowship with you. Lord, I pray for those today who are still just living like animals in this world. They have no concept of the life of the Spirit. They do not understand it nor know it. Lord, it all sounds foolishness to them. But I pray, Father, that this day you'll give them the grace to look and to see Christ suffering on the cross for their sins and to believe in him. That their spirit might come alive and that they might be able to see and comprehend the eternal plan of God. That they will not perish as the result of their sins, but will know the blessings of that wonderful life in the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? So simple that a child can receive it. So profound that none of us fully understand it. And yet here it is. God provided for you the means whereby... You can know him and live in fellowship with him. And if you don't know him and if you aren't living in fellowship with him, I would encourage you, go back to the prayer room. Don't go home without the gift of God. The last verse of John's gospel, chapter 3. So we've given you the beginning. Now we'll give you the end. You just fill in the short middle and we'll study it all tonight the last verse is he that believeth on the son of God hath 
everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You're in one of two camps. It all depends on your relationship to Jesus. Simple believing, looking in faith, To Jesus who died on the cross for you. Eternal life. Otherwise, going on as you are. You know, that's the the amazing thing. To be lost, to perish, you don't have to do anything but what you've been doing all your life. Just keep on. And you will perish. But believe on him. And the gift of God is yours. Eternal life. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting pastorchuck.org.